Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 35. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses, said to, and, so Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay on the ground around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms, and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses had commanded them, and it did not stink, and there was no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. No, let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white and to, 
and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that you may see so that they may see the bread of which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. The word of the Lord. A reading from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 19. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of men of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? Is it, it is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Almighty Father, we ask that you will uh, teach us by your Spirit through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. And it's helpful if uh, you turn back to page uh, six and seven in your service sheets. Uh, we're continuing our series in the book of Exodus. One of the reasons we're doing that is that um, in Advent, Advent is a season where we practice looking backward and looking forward and living in between. So what I mean by that is that in Advent, on the one hand, we look backward to uh, the birth of Jesus. Uh, we anticipate, so to speak, the birth of Jesus by looking backwards. I know that sounds funny, but 
We also, however, look forward. We look forward to the second coming of Jesus. And the Christian life is about living in between those two realities. So if you're, not, if you're not familiar with the Christian tradition, we believe that these two events, the first coming of Jesus in the past and the second coming of Jesus in the future, reshapes and provides a context for our lives that changes everything. And so as Christians, we're learning how to live in between. And Advent is a time where we particularly give attention to that. Well, Exodus, in our portion of Exodus, uh, Israel is living in between. Uh, Egypt and slavery is behind them. They're heading towards the Mount Sinai where they will uh, get to know God a great deal better. And right now, they're traveling and they're in between. And they can help teach us how we live in between as we watch them. So, here's what we learned today. Today, we want to point out the importance of cultivating a constant hunger for God. Now, just think about hunger for a second. Um, are you hungry? Um, yeah, well, I'm here. Oh, I see nods. Look at that. Um, so when you're hungry, I think, usually two things have to be happening at the same time. On the one hand, there's um, a, a sense, you sense the need for food, right? But then on the other hand, there has to be a willingness to receive that food. Um, so, for instance, sometimes you can have one but not the other, and it's not quite healthy hunger, right? So sometimes um, I've been sick. You ever been sick? Everybody's been sick. And um, my wife, Amber, will tell me, Jim, you need to eat something. And I know she's right, but I don't want to. I have a need for food, but I don't, I'm not ready to receive it. And that doesn't quite work. That's not quite hunger. And on the other hand, there are times where I don't need food at all, but I'm very ready to receive it, right? I mean, the third helping of crumble on Thanksgiving. You know, do you need it? I don't know. Anyways, in order, healthy hunger typically has both a sense of need for food and then also a, a, a willingness to receive it in that moment, both together. Anyways, spiritual hunger works the same. Spiritual hunger is when we both have a sense that we need God and at the same moment we're ready to receive him. Now, today, Exodus wants to say cultivate that constant hunger for God, both a sense of need and a willingness to receive him. Let me explain and let's get into the story. Remember where we are at in this story of Israel. So uh, Israel has, they were enslaved in Egypt, but just a few weeks before we pick up the story, they've just gotten out of Egypt. Um, and in Egypt, Israel had no freedom. They were slaves. However, they had no freedom, but they did have food, which was good. Once they get out of Egypt and into the desert where we're picking up the story, that switches. They now do have freedom, but they have no food. And that scares them very, very deeply. Now, what happens in our story is that God comes in and shows Israel that just like he's the one who gave them freedom from Egypt, he is also the one who is going to give them food day in and day out. He's teaching them that God's generosity is the thing that gave them freedom in the first place, but it's also God's generosity is going to give them food every single day. God frees them by, their, by his grace, and God feeds them every single moment by his grace. And that's what this bread manna in the desert is all about. However, 
There's also more to it. And in order to explain the more to it, um, we need to back up and, and, and I need to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Okay? So, do you remember the beginning of the Bible? You ever read it? It's, remember the Garden of Eden? You've heard of that? Uh, Adam and Eve? Now, um, if you read the beginning of the Bible in the book of Exodus, what happens is God creates everything. And God uh, creates Adam and Eve, and God gives Adam and Eve a home, a really great home. We call it the Garden of Eden. And it was brilliant, and it was really, really good for at least three things. There were three things that the Garden of Eden had that just made it fantastic. The first is that it was full of provision. Uh, God gives Adam and Eve just truckloads of food, which is yummy. Provision. But then second, and even better, the Garden of Eden was full of God's presence. Um, and this was really, if you read the story, this is really the best thing about it. Uh, Adam and Eve in the story are made not just for a relationship with each other, though that's part of it. They were also made, and more deeply, they were made for God. And in the garden, they enjoyed unfettered access to God's presence. Their, God's presence was their highest joy. It talks about God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And there's a sense of joy about that. God's presence. God's provision. But then also God's presence. And then thirdly, there was God's word. His provision, his presence, and his word. And his word um, comes to Adam and Eve. God gives them a command. And the command goes something like this. God says, listen, I have given you every tree in this gigantic garden... Every tree is available to you. Everything belongs to you, except for one tree. There's one tree that belongs to me, Adam and Eve. So eat from every tree, but don't eat from the one tree that belongs to me. Now, God's provision, God's presence, and God's word. Now, why is God's word important, and why does he give that uh, command? Well, part of it has to do with trust. Um, think about a relationship. Uh, I think most of us would agree that good relationships are typically built on trust. They always are built on trust, right? Uh, if you're going to have a good relationship with somebody, you have to trust each other. And that's trust is what facilitates real intimacy between two people. Now, God gave that one command to Adam and Eve in the garden as a little bit of a test. The question was, are Adam and Eve going to trust me? Are they going to trust me or are they going to trust themselves? It's as if God is saying... Are they going to live dependent upon God, or are they going to declare their independence from God? Are they going to rely on themselves or God? Are they going to continue in a deep relationship of intimacy and trust with God, or are they going to reject that relationship and rely upon themselves exclusively? So that's the question that hangs over the garden. But notice the three things, provision, presence, and the word of God. Now, uh, you probably, you may remember what happens next. Um, what happens next in the fast-forward edition is that uh, Eve talks to a snake, which is a side thing, which we'll, we can come back to at some point. But she and Adam basically decide that God's word cannot be trusted. And in particular, God's provision is not enough. It's not sufficient. And the thinking goes a little bit like this. Yes. God has given us every single tree in this gigantic garden for us to eat, but God's holding out on us. 
That one tree that belongs to him, that's the best tree. That's the tree we need. That's the tree we want. And God's not our father. He's our tyrant. If he really loved us, he'd give us that tree too. Let's eat from this tree and then we'll be independent and autonomous and everything will be wonderful because we'll be free. They doubt God's word. They reject God's provision. And they divorce his presence. Or I could say it this way. Instead of being hungry for God and a relationship with him, instead of cultivating a sense of need for God and a willingness to receive God's good gifts, instead of that, they become hungry, Adam and Eve, for something else, for independence and autonomy and self. And that leads them to cancel God. Okay. What does any of this have to do with Exodus and manna and the desert? And the answer is it has everything to do with our reading. Why? Look at our reading again. God is building a garden in the desert. Do you notice that? Do you notice all those three things are there? God's provision and God's word and God's presence. All of them are there. Let me show you. First, God provides. Um, this is the most obvious one. There's no food. Israel needs food. They get hungry. God provides. God provides this thing called manna, which no one really knows what it is. That it's actually the best translation is, what do you call it? Um, they don't know what to call it, so they call it, what do you call it, which is manna. Um, provides manna and meat, quail. There's provision. But then secondly, there's God's word. Verse 4, God says, I'm going to test uh, Israel to see whether or not they really trust me. Um, and and the, the command was this, listen, I'm, God says to Israel, I'm going to give you food every single day, but only take enough food for one day, which is to say, do not hoard. And the reason that Israel was not to hoard is that hoarding is behavior of somebody who's trying to be independent and autonomous and only rely on themselves, whereas God and God's word is always beckoning us to trust him. And therefore, his word said, Take enough for one day, but not enough for two, except for one day of the week, and we'll talk about that later. So God's provision, God's word, and then lastly, God's presence. Verse 6, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked to the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, meaning the presence of the Lord. Now, remember what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve knew the presence of God, but then they got hungry for something else, and that led them to cancel their relationship with God. In the desert, it's working backwards. Israel's, were, Israel's hungry for something else, namely bread, literal hunger. But God is teaching them here to be hungry for him. Or let me say it differently. Why does God give manna to Israel? Well, obviously to take care of them physically, 
It is also, however, more than that. He gives them manna to teach them that they can trust him, and, ex and particularly, they can trust his word. When he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. And as they trust his word, they get to enjoy his presence. God appears before them. It scares them, but it's a good thing. And as they enjoy God's presence, they experience the relationship that animates all of life, and they experience the relationship that they were designed for, but that they had never tasted. They were tasting something better than bread. Now, let's bring this to us, because this is why I ask you, Emmanuel, what is it that you are really hungry for? What is it that you sense that you need? And then what is it that you're willing to receive? Now, let's play with that question for a few minutes. Um, imagine, that imagine that we want mostly good things. Okay? Imagine that you want things like uh, a good relationship, um, a good uh, job that is kind of meaningful and you think makes a difference, uh, and, uh, and a secure future. Now, does God want you to have stuff like that? Well, yeah. I mean, we, we must not imagine that God is stingy. A stingy God is certainly not the God of the Bible. God, in our reading, gives Israel food and meat every single day, not to mention water, we saw that last week, takes care of them with really good gifts every single day for 40 years, and then after that 40 years, he gives them some of the best real estate around. God is not stingy. He likes to give good things. However... Imagine now that God gives you all the stuff you want and exceeds all your expectations. So imagine that you, you find yourself just in, a, in just an amazing relationship. And then imagine that you go to work and during a break on the back of a napkin, you solve climate change, which would be good, good use of the day. And then you come home and in your off time, you become the next Picasso. You know, it's just... You're just killing it. Now, imagine you have everything it is that you want. Would having it all increase or decrease your hunger for God? Now, go back to Israel and fast forward in their story 40 years into the future. 40 years into their future, Israel has been fed by God every single day. Not a day has been missed. And they have lived in his close presence that whole time. They've learned a lot. But now, at the end of this 40 years, God's going to give them another good gift, namely real estate. He's going to give them homes and fields and properties and businesses and everything that they hoped for was coming true. But now this is what the Lord says to Israel. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Just listen. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, meaning by failing to trust him. Lest when you have eaten and are your full and you've built big houses and you live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and when your silver and your gold is multiplied, and when all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Beware lest you say in your heart... My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Now, do you see the danger that the Lord's pointing out to Israel? They get everything they want, 
But in getting everything that they want, they lose their hunger for God. God gives them everything they want, but if you follow the story, they end up canceling God just like Adam and Eve did. When their bellies get full, their hearts become increasingly empty. And they do no longer rely on God for provision. And because they no longer rely on God for provision, they no longer trust his word. And because they, trust his wor- they do not trust his word, they end up canceling his presence. And that's why I ask Emmanuel, what are you hungry for? And what will happen if God gives you everything that you want? Because here's the thing about manna. You know the thing about manna? The thing about manna is that manna is really, really adequate. But it is not entirely satisfying for Israel. Did you notice that? So it's adequate. Like it, you know, it even tastes good. It's healthy and it tastes good. Apparently it tastes like honey. So that's cool. In fact, they found, they found this um, stuff that grows on uh, forms on uh, bushes and stuff like that in this area that kind of the Bedouins have been using for sweetener for forever. So nobody knows, but maybe there's a connection. Anyways, it's adequate, but it's not entirely satisfying. And, the, and here's the, the funny thing. The fact that manna is not entirely satisfying is part of what makes it good. Because it's not meant or designed to be completely satisfying. It's meant to cultivate a deeper hunger. Deuteronomy chapter 8 again. The Lord humbled you, Israel, and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, in order that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You see, manna was not designed to satisfy. It is adequate, but not satisfying. Manna was designed to make them deeply dependent upon the Lord. Its goodness was not in its taste. Its goodness, not alone. Its goodness is that it helped shape Israel and increase their sense of need for God's word and increase their readiness to receive God's word. And another way to put that is that manna was the appetizer, but it was not the meal. And remember what it is that God's word is supposed to do. God's word brings us to a place where we put our trust and confidence in him. And why is trust so important? Because trust is the foundation of relationship. And why is relationship so important? Because all of us were designed to enjoy the Lord's presence for forever. Provision and the word and the presence. So again, I ask, Emmanuel, what is it that you are hungry for? And imagine for a minute that you actually don't get every single thing that you want. Imagine that you find life adequate, but not entirely satisfying. That might not be entirely a bad thing. That might be part of God's kindness to you. How can I possibly say that? Here's why. Friends, every one of us was designed, to, was designed with a hunger that is bigger than this world that we live in. And part of what makes this world good is that it leaves us desiring something more. 
Adam and Eve were not made for the garden. They were made for God. And Israel was not made for manna. Israel was made for God. And you are not made for anything in this world. At least nothing in this world can fully satisfy you. You were made for something bigger and deeper and more rich. And that's why we've got to cultivate a constant hunger for something that's bigger than this world. Did you know that Jesus fed people in the wilderness? It wasn't a desert, but it was a wilderness. He fed thousands of people one day. And apparently the bread that he gave them was really, really good because they showed up the next day. And here's what Jesus says to them. John chapter 6. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your full of loaves. Do not work, says Jesus, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. In other words, cultivate a hunger that's bigger than this world. And everybody around Jesus is, says, well, okay, that's a weird thing to say, Jesus, but if you've got that kind of bread, bring it. And Jesus says this, shockingly. He says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Friends, God gave you a hunger that is bigger than this world, and he did it on purpose precisely because he wants to satisfy you with nothing but himself. God's best gift is always himself. And that's the whole point of Advent, because Advent reminds us how God gives himself to us. He gave us himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And in giving us Jesus, God was giving us his word and his provision and his presence. Jesus gave us God's word, not just because he spoke true things, that is absolutely correct, but also because Jesus, in a remarkable way, is God's word in person. And remember, trust is always, or relationship is always based on trust, and therefore, as you trust Jesus' word, you are trusting Jesus himself. And as you trust in Jesus' word, you find that Jesus has provided everything necessary for you, not only for this life, but for all eternity. The bread that I give for the life of the world is my own flesh, says Jesus. And he's talking, he's pointing forward to when he dies upon the cross and when his body was broken like bread is broken. And in a remarkable way, when Jesus died and rose again, he was procuring everything we need, not just for this life, but for all eternity, all eternity in the presence of God. God's word leads to Jesus' provision, and Jesus' provision leads us to his presence. Remember what happened in the garden? We distrusted God's word. We rejected God's provision. We divorced God's presence. We canceled God, but in Jesus Christ, we find out that God did not entirely cancel us. He came and he sought us out. So, Emmanuel, what are you hungry for? And remember that you are right now surrounded by manna. God provides for you very, very well. Even if you don't even, not even sure you believe in God, nevertheless, God still cares for you. He, you, he, you breathe. Uh, you eat. You're loved. 
And your life pulses with the kindness of God. That's true for all of us, even if we can't see it. And yet, nevertheless, we are none of us satisfied fully with this life. And that is a good thing. In fact, if we are satisfied with our, with our lives here and now, it's probably because we're numb. We were designed to be hungry for something that's bigger than this world. And the Lord gave you that hunger because through Jesus Christ, he wants to spend all eternity satisfying you with himself. And so again, I ask the question, are you hungry? Are you, do you sense your need for Jesus Christ? And are you ready to receive him? The answer to those questions will determine everything. Jesus said this, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, do not allow us to be numb, but grant us to be hungry for something bigger than this world. And then lead us to Jesus Christ, every one of us, more and more deeply, that we may be satisfied in him forever. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.